I love that. Don't you love that story? That's sweet. Uh, you see one kid take, catching the ball. It's his prized possession. He goes and he gives it to the poor guy who's weeping and all bummed out. And here's the trick. They were both happier afterward, weren't they? I love that about uh, generosity. That's the theme of this morning's message. And I've entitled it, Generosity, the Most Revealing Journey of All. This is the final sermon in this series, Journeys to God Knows Where. We're moving on to another series uh, starting next week. Originally, you know, like when Ephraim came last week, uh, you know, we planned, we signed Ephraim a year ago to come last week. The plan was, well, certainly by October 20th, we'll be in our remodeled building and we'll have Ephraim there. We'll even have all the leaks and, you know, things fixed, the little broken things fixed, the odds and ends fixed, and he'll come, he'll launch us, we'll be all excited. And not only were we not in our new building, we weren't, in our re- we weren't even in our regular temporary building. So kudos to all of you who made it to the four points last week, who got all the message about two services and uh, got to en- enjoy that. Um, but so here we are this week with, uh, with this gathering. Wanted to uh, launch, though, into a new series beginning next week. But this is the final series in this Journeys to God Knows Where series. And generosity, of all the journeys and the pieces of the journey we've talked about, generosity may be the most revealing journey of all. That act of generosity was revealing. Remember the little statement, uh, that's the way I was raised. My parents taught me that. I felt like it was the right thing to do. And then you he wasn't expecting it, but he actually gets blessed as well uh, for giving up that ball. You know, some facts about generosity that might surprise you. Did you know that recently the nation's first school of philanthropy was started at uh, University of Indiana? It's called the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, and how appropriate for that school to be named after the Lilly Family. Lilly Foundation has... Uh, has been given away money for a long, long time. In fact, our own denomination uh, received a grant from the Lilly Foundation so that we can invest in pastors, refreshing pastors. Pastors can go on sabbaticals, uh, go on retreats, and get refreshed. For the Lilly Foundation to come back to Indiana University, sort of like a homecoming for them. You know, it's like like coming back to homecoming. They, they are invested in Indiana. They give to Indiana. They especially love Indiana, and you can actually get your bachelor's in philanthropy, philanthropy, your master's in philanthropy, and now a PhD in generosity. Can you believe that? Research shows, another factoid, that human beings may actually have been originally designed for giving, so that it's actually by design, by creation, it may be, research is showing this, it may actually be unnatural and unfulfilling to hold back as, to po- as opposed to giving. In fact, we, uh, in these studies, you know, they can probe the brain and they study which parts of the brain get excited and warm up. You know, they the sort of come, the color shows up on these scales when you do different things like get a hug or listen to great music or, you know, eat linguine and white clam sauce or other wonderful things in life. The brain is engaged during acts of generosity in the same pleasure center areas, stimulated during during some of those things, stimulated during uh, 
a sad story, simulated during drug use or eating a good meal. So apparently, even our bodies were created to reward generosity. There's some sort of an endorphin release when we practice generosity. Contrary to both the theory of evolution and the most popular economic theories, humans then may be predisposed to uh, giving in order to survive. Because both of those theories are based on the assumption that you'll basically take what you need to survive, and that's what has to happen in order for you to survive. But now science is showing that it may actually be that the opposite is true. That it's giving that we were designed to need to do in order to survive. Yet, in all these journeys to God knows where, many find that the journey toward generosity may be the most unwelcome journey of all. Isn't that strange? If, in fact, we are predisposed to be generous, why in the world is it so difficult for us to be convinced that we should be generous? What is it that's holding us back toward acts of generosity if, in fact, we were designed to be generous? In these days of a widening gap between the haves, the used-to-haves, and the probably-never-will-haves, how might we recover our humanity then? Because if by design we're created to be generous, we're more fully human when we're generous then, if that science is right. And the question of the day is, how can we recover what makes us most fully human? How can we re-engage that most difficult journey of all, the journey toward generosity. Now, as you might expect, the one who created us has an opinion on this. Jesus has something to say about generosity, the recapturing of it, the rediscovery of it. And we're going to look at what Jesus has to say this morning in answer to that question. Let's read Matthew chapter 6. In fact, would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, just a few verses 19 through 21, we're going to focus this message from just that last verse, 21, but let's read what Jesus has to say in response to the question of generosity and the need to recapture it. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy where thieves do not break in and steal. And then this verse, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. May God add his blessing to his holy word, his fully reliable word. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. It's that last verse that is key. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. A couple of points Jesus makes in response to the question, how in the world can we recapture, re-engage this journey toward generosity? The first is this. It's a couple of rediscoverings and replacings. Rediscover your heart would be the way I put the first point he makes. Observations from that last verse. In order to rediscover generosity, we've got to rediscover our heart. We've got to find our hearts. In other words, we, we have to go relocate our hearts. Where are our hearts, really? Because Jesus links forever the action of generosity and the location of the heart. 
So a natural, logical question is, if I want to become more generous, because being most generous is what I need to survive, it's when I'm most fully human, it's what really feeds me, where in the world is my heart? I want to analyze my heart. I want to know what it really cares about. Everything we do is a reflection of where our heart already is. You understand that, right? Every single action we take is a mirror into the location of our hearts. Where is my heart now is the question we want to ask. How can I know for sure where it is? In order to discover where your heart is, here's, here's some steps you can take. You want to, first of all, track your thoughts and actions. Remember Jesus said, where your heart is, your treasure is. Where your treasure is, your heart is. So track my thoughts and my actions. Your actions are always a billboard advertisement for your heart. For instance, you've experienced this. Somebody comes and says they love you. Are you going to believe the words or the actions that show that they love you? It's the actions that show what the heart really believes. Everything is about the heart. Everything we say or do is somehow a footprint that our heart leaves. Rediscover your heart. Where is the true location of my heart? Not what do I believe the location is, not what do I think the location is, not even what do I hope the location is, where is it really? And my actions show me that. Matthew 12, 33. Look at a few of these other things that Jesus has taught that make this point, because this teaching, this connection between heart and actions is all over the place in Christ's teachings. In Matthew 12, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's speaking to those who are religious and misusing their authority that people give them and missing the point. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good person brings good things out of the good stored up for him. And an, and an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up for him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted, by your words you'll be condemned, because your words, your activities, your measurable actions reveal the location of your heart. Matthew 13, you will... Be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. This people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. And then there's an action. Turn, and I would heal them. Again, the connection between the location of the heart and the measurable activities of a person. Matthew 15. He says, are you still so dull? <laughs> Sometimes Jesus could be a little bit harsh. I remember my dad quoting Jesus in that line often, looking at me and saying, are you still so dull? Jesus asked him, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Arguing about you're defiled by what you eat and all these rules that people were offering. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile them. And then the one that most touches me, Psalm 51. Again, this 
this connection between the location of your heart and our actions, because we want to rediscover our heart, find that thing, and evaluate where it really is. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord. My mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You will not despise. And again, the psalmist there links the idea of the location of the heart and the kinds of activities that flow out from the heart. Want to return to a practice that is human at its core, generosity? Want to revive and foster a virtue you were designed to have? Interested in being that generous, that fully human? Want to rediscover what we just saw in the video? Then go and find your heart. The first step is you've got to know where you really are. Where is my heart really? I'll know that by tracking, by measuring my actions. Rediscover your heart. And then once you rediscover your heart, redirect your heart. You can actually change the location of your heart. There's a circular connection that goes on here in the logic. Redirect your heart. Everything we do is a reflection of where our heart already is. But it's also true then that everything we do has the potential to be a command to the heart to go someplace better. Do you get that connection? Hearts always follow habits. And then habits come out of what actually is in a heart. But there's a circular connection that goes here. Yes, what I'm doing reveals my heart. But what I do also commands my heart. And so if I keep practicing things that I don't really want to be true of me, eventually my heart will catch up and land there. And so we become, in a sense, what we do. Hearts always follow habits. Redirect your heart. Our actions not only reveal the whereabouts of our hearts, but they also have the power to reposition them. And Jesus says that. Where your heart is, there will your treasure also be. But in that, he's also implying where your treasure is found, you will also find your heart. Do you see how that works both ways? Hearts and treasures are always found in the same drawer. So logically, our hearts can be reshaped by a careful repositioning of our treasures. Do you want a heart of compassion? Invest in compassion. Do compassion. Do you want a heart of forgiveness? Go and grit your teeth and practice forgiveness. And eventually our hearts will always catch up. You want generosity and a heart that's naturally generous? Practice generosity. It's a drudgery almost at first but it becomes a natural expression of who we are. Hearts follow treasure, then treasure follows heart, 
then heart follows treasure, then treasure follows heart. And instead of spiraling down in the wrong direction, we can actually relocate our hearts by discipline moving of our treasures. Does that make sense? Jesus is saying that as well. Hearts will eventually align themselves with what we practice. Now, don't our own bodies teach us that? Uh, put drugs in your body long enough, and what do you find your body craving for? More drugs. When we were kids, this is a negative example. When we were kids, we used to think it was cool to smoke. And so one of my friends, Terry Sadler, could get cigarettes from his mom. My parents didn't smoke, but his, parent, his mom did. And he'd bring them to school in junior high, and then we'd go to a field after school. Mind you, this is a field of about four foot high, probably about 10 acres, four foot high dry grass. <laughs> the brilliance of adolescence. And we would go into the middle of the field and beat down some of the grass to create a little area for ourselves to light matches and smoke cigarettes. I remember trying that and thinking, who in the world would want to do this? I mean... I would force my body to accept this smoke into my lungs. I would choke almost half to death. If I did inhale it, I was dizzy from the rush. It just felt awful. It smelled awful. It tasted awful. It was awful. It felt awful. It made me feel awful. Nothing good about it could have been experienced. But if you fight through that terrible, awful rejection... You can find your way to longing for that thing, right? Because hearts, and just like that, hearts will follow actions. Our bodies even learn to crave for what we practice if we practice it long enough. And that works in every, every exception. I mean, you know, with, with drugs or with cigarettes or with, with sugar even in the body or a great meal or what. You know, I mean, watch enough NASCAR and your body, well, there are exceptions to every rule, but <laughs> God in his mercy protected us from that one. Human beings eventually become what they do. Jesus is teaching us that. And our hearts will do the same thing. They will become what we do. Redirect your heart once you find it. If you find your heart, and your actions point to it. And you don't like where you found it. It's in a dusty closet you never intended for it. It is possible to redirect it by practicing different things, by disciplines. You want to be more generous? Because that's the most revealing journey of all. You want to be what Jesus said is truly and fully human? You want to practice what points to God every time? what points to goodness every time. You want to be the one that feels like that boy felt when he gave up something he really cherished to somebody that really wanted it and really needed it. You want to be generous again, naturally generous? Practice generosity. Your heart will follow that. And then your actions will follow your heart. And then your heart will follow your actions. And then your actions will follow your heart. Human beings eventually become what they do. There's a story of a beggar by the roadside and Alexander the Great with his entourage came by. Notice this beggar 
calling out, not even embarrassed to call out to Alexander the Great. Alms, help me. I mean, this wasn't like, you know, the, the kind of left turn signal person that we have here. Anything will help. God bless them. This is somebody with no legs. I mean, this is somebody with no hope unless somebody helped them. Called out for help. And Alexander reached into his bag and took out several pieces of gold, gold coins, and handed them to the beggar. And one of his attendants said to the ruler, that's a common beggar. For goodness sake, copper coins would have been plenty for him. He would have been elated. That would have certainly satisfied the beggar's need to receive. And Alexander, the story goes, responded by saying, copper coins would have suited the beggar's need to receive. But only gold coins suit Alexander's need to give. My wife was, we went on a trip recently, and I got a couple bucks, you know, to give to, the, give to that, to, give to the person that takes us from the, you know, from the rental car, from the parking to the, takes our luggage out, give a couple bucks. And she was saying, man, you know, you sure tip a lot. I don't tip a lot of money, but it's a buck or two bucks, you know. She said, I love that about you. You're generous. I don't tip because I'm generous. I tip because I'm afraid of where my heart will go if I don't do it. You want to be more generous? Want to be more human? Relocate your heart. Redirect your heart. Because it's then, Jesus says, that we are blessed. In fact, Paul attributes these words to Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Seeing that video, I think I know what he meant. That felt good. Let's pray. I want to give you a chance to pray and respond to what we're saying here. This journey to God knows where. Generosity, the most revealing journey of all. Generosity, a journey that really points to Jesus because all the good news points to the fact of God's generosity. The freedom that Jesus brought came because his father sent him to people who weren't all that interested in him and he stood the test and he offered hope. Very generous. Is this blessing of generosity a blessing you're experiencing? Or has your heart drifted to a place God never intended for it to go? A stingy, enslaved, reluctant, clingy place that is driven by fear and a lack of vision. You were never created to go there. You were created for generosity. Let's pray. Lord, what we receive from you, we pray that you would equip us to give. Would you open our hands, open our hearts, so that we who follow you are among the most generous spirit that people have ever met, the most generous with our friendship, the most generous with forgiveness, the most generous with opportunities, the most generous with our financial wealth, the most generous with our prayers the most generous opinions about people, the most generous welcoming people that folks would ever meet. 
Lead us in this search for our hearts. Equip us with the honesty, painful honesty it sometimes takes to admit where we've really found our hearts. Give us insight into how they got there. And then, Lord, would you give us the strength and courage it takes to redirect them, to reposition them, to relocate them. Pour out generosity upon your church. We want to pour it out upon your world. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.